0: Hello, and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhira CEO of a high growth startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra successful parent founders, venture capitalists, and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives, and strategies of parents in business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. Our guest on the show this week is Polly McMaster, CEO of The Fold. Fold designs, produces and retails fashionable clothes for women to wear to work. Polly's pretty epic. Before the Fold, she was a strategy consultant and before that did a PhD in neurology. Her story about becoming a startup mum is a pretty powerful one too. Today you'll learn about understanding yourself when making compromises as a startup parent, how life changes can build empathy and understanding of your customers, and the power of modulating pace between home and work life. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santa Roussainan and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. So welcome to this week's episode of Startup Dads, and this week's episode is not a Startup Dad, is a Startup Mum. I'm delighted to welcome Polly McMaster to the show. Polly, hi.
1: Hi, thanks very much for having me.
0: I'm very excited to speak to you and I'd love to hear a little bit about the time that you became a startup mom. So Polly, could you talk us through your journey?
1: Absolutely. So I founded The Fold, which is a workwear brand for professional women. And I'd started it up in, it was around 2010, 2011 that the idea had started. And I was at business school at the time. And as I left business school, really started to formulate it as a as a business. And it went from sort of paper to something a bit more real. I had a wonderful co-founder called Cheryl. And just as we were finishing our MBA at business school, she moved to New York. So I then had to make a decision about whether I was going to sort of carry the business on or what to do about it. But really, I felt so passionate that there should be a brand out there that was really relevant for high achieving professional women that would make them feel confident when they go to work, that would really empower them to achieve their ambitions. So I really wanted to carry on with it. And that was sort of the beginning of the business journey. So that was around 2012. And then you go through those really sort of scrappy early phases, especially this is a product brand. You know, we had to actually develop physical product. We had to find our roots to market and our consumer. We're a direct-to-consumer brand, so we had to work out how are we going to tap into our audiences. So all of that good stuff was sort of starting in those first couple of years. And I would describe that as that sort of, truly hard graft it was very a lot of pavement pounding a lot of physical heavy lifting and i'm not even joking just like garment bags (laughs) in and out of cars and all sorts of shenanigans Um, and then that was probably a good couple of years to be honest between let's say 2012 2014 and it was also a journey i suppose it was kind of it's quite a formative sort of time of your life i'd gotten married just before starting the business. And quite early on, because my husband and I had met at work, as many professional couples do. And I think at the get-go, it was really important to us that we were both equals in the in the working sphere. He was clearly very supportive of my career and my ambitions to build a business and be an entrepreneur. And that was really amazing. And actually, then at that point, when the business was sort of, I would say, still pretty small, and pretty vulnerable, but we were starting to think about what we wanted to do on our own lives, sort of have a family. It's interesting, I I hadn't really considered actually the sort of the pre-family bit and whether, you know, whether we'd get onto this, but actually, probably is worth talking about in the context of being a startup mum that we'd actually, we tried for kids for quite a long time before we had ours. And actually I had a couple of miscarriages before we had our first child. And I think that is relevant in the startup space because One of the things I've noticed when you're in a startup is that your worlds blend together a lot. So whatever it is that's going on in your personal life, it's not like you can take time off. You can't dissociate yourself as easily from the working day to day because there isn't really anyone to cover you. So when the business is really tiny and there's only, let's say, five, 10 people on the team, your work can't be covered by someone else. So something like that happens. You sort of have to really still be present and still be there and I I have to say and I, I don't even know if I've really talked to the team about this much but I do remember the day where I you know had this devastating sort of news that I'd lost a baby at a relatively early stage and literally the next day I went into sort of surgery and then the next day sort of still feeling a little bit on the anesthetic straight back into the office and I didn't say exactly what had happened but it was clearly something a bit emotional and And actually a learning that I would have now is I probably would share more because I think one thing that I've learned is that people really appreciate you being quite personal with them. But anyway, so that was a little glimmer into how these worlds collide. And that was quite difficult to manage, but we're very lucky. And fortunately we went on to have Two kids. So then, really interesting year, actually. And I think hopefully you find this interesting to hear about. But when I was then had a successful pregnancy, there was a lot going on in the business. So that year, I sort of describe as the year that went from sort of absolute doom and gloom to something really amazing within the space of 12 months. So the beginning of that year, I'd actually had these two sort of really difficult personal times trying to have a family. And then in the beginning of the following year, the business was growing, but we were running out of cash. And for anyone who's been through that in the startup world, it is absolute hell because you are just seeing this wall coming at you and you know that you need money and it's very, very stressful. But you're also trying to keep the team pepped up and be all excited and get things going. You're facing customers a lot. You're trying to be very positive. You're facing investors and you're getting a lot of rejection. So. Navigating that and this fear of running out of cash was probably the thing that's been, driven me closest to the edge if I've ever been. It was very, very, very stressful. So, the world's always have a reason. That, you know, I'm quite a big believer in sort of fate and serendipity. So, you know, maybe it was a good thing that I didn't go through all that stress with also having a very young baby at that time. That was probably good to, um, to have that time. And then I did manage to raise the money. So, that was good. And then by the summer of that year, I then became pregnant. so yay that was really exciting. Then I started discussions with a growth capital fund. So we've um, we instead of the angel investors that I'd had in the early stage, I started talking to more sophisticated investors who would bring a longer period investment in bigger numbers really start help us to scale up. And that was quite interesting because there was a point where I had to tell them that I was pregnant. And we were in quite advanced stage of discussions. And obviously, you know, this was something that had to be disclosed. And I think it was very interesting to go through that discussion. I would say they were extremely supportive. I did present and have to present a maternity plan to them. If you're a potentially a startup dad, I don't know if the same things are required of you. That was definitely something that I had to literally be like, right, okay, so my due date is here. I'm going to have this maternity nurse starting on this day, then I'm going to have a full-time nanny from this day. And it was literally like almost day by day. I had an Excel chart. I mean, that's how sad it was, but, and it sounds awful, doesn't it? To map your first experience as a mother onto a sort of table, but I guess it's kind of fair enough. They were about to put money in the business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably not allowed to say this, but that's the best answer I think we've had to this question in terms of mapping it out. And maybe it's probably testament to my brain being one gigantic Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) I think a lot about how the goal of this show is to shine a light on the fact that it's hard to raise a family and grow a business at the same time. We've been really honoured to have startup mums like you on the show, because I think something you did touch on is speaking very honestly to you. We fell pregnant after I had raised the money. No one asked me. And all they said was, congratulations, get ready for lack of sleep. I'm bootstrapping a business. so I don't get much sleep anyway. I didn't realise what would happen really means to not have any sleep where the child comes along and knocks it out completely. <laughs> but it's fascinating to reflect on the fact that you had to map that out. And one thing I wanted to ask you was, did you feel like having that plan helped maybe it's a bit of an obvious question but I don't know actually do you know I
1: really do think it helped because there are a number of factors to it one was this equality position on it which was I want to carry on with this business and I want it to be really successful so what are we going to need to do as a couple to enable this to work for us because my husband also had a job in a very fast-paced business at the time and neither of us were really able to step away. So, then what do you do about that? Because we also wanted to have a family. I suppose it comes with the territory of us, you know, we're both ex consultants, we're both like high, people who kind of thrive on due diligence. So, I mean, it makes it sound so transactional, it's awful, but we really did sort of do a lot of due diligence and we said, right, we're going to need help. And I think that's the other thing is that. I know when I've spoken to, let's say, mothers going through motherhood at the first time and dads and parents trying to navigate work and everything is that it's okay to ask for help and to acknowledge that you're going to need help. So from the get go, by making that plan, I suppose what we were acknowledging is that we were going to need help. So on the plan was what help were we going to need and how was it going to support us to get through it? And it's something you also, I suppose, learn in terms of building your team, isn't it, in a startup environment is what expertise do I need to bring in, in order for this to be successful? And this was the exact same approach. We're not experts in parenting. We know, in fact, nothing about parenting. We've never changed an that piece. So what do we need to bring in to make this the smoothest possible journey? And I guess I was very focused on trying to make sure it was a really positive experience. So rather than let it get to a point where we hit the wall we were totally exhausted and then we couldn't cope it was trying to put things in place beforehand and acknowledge it up front and be like right we're going to need someone to help with sleep because that is obviously the absolute killer and we need to know that we're going to be able to survive and and the other thing is i knew i was going to have to be on my email or potentially coming into the office pretty quickly and in order for that to happen i knew i was going to need to be able to rely on someone who could help with the routine, make sure that we weren't just all over the place. And I wasn't sort of completely bogged down with everything that I was doing. And I also, I suppose I set realistic expectations for myself about some of the things that I was prepared to compromise. Breastfeeding is one, again, not a startup dad issue, but I know a lot of women really beat themselves up over it and I applaud women who can persist with it and who find it easy or who really, you know, find it an important thing. It's such a personal decision. But for me personally, I did as much as I could and then I made my peace with it. And I was like, do you know what? There are so many important factors here. And if this is the thing that's tipping me over the edge, then I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to make sure that instead I really enjoy the time that I do have I'm not going to obsess over something that isn't so important to me.
0: Yeah, I think one of the key things that comes up in this show so much, which is for someone who's built a business and their business is a huge part of their life, being happy at work and being happy at home, as you've touched on, are so intricately connected. They also influence how you are with your children. And, you know, what you've talked about there, understanding the compromises you need to make, it's such a powerful thing to be able to do because if you don't turn up who's going to do it yeah (laughs) particularly like you say at the early stage the kind of seed to growth stage where quite literally you're 20 percent of the headcount and substantially more of the enterprise value you can very easily try and fit yourself into that box and then not be a good husband or dad because actually you're deeply unhappy and that's something that i think that's a very powerful key takeaway is to understand the compromises you need to make to be the best that you can be
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah You know, one thing I reflect on for my wife as well, who, as I often say on this show, is a key part of HX's success. And she, like you, doesn't run her own business, but she's a successful professional. But her life changed when she became a mum, and she was a mum first and a working professional at the same time. I'd love to know how your perspective on your work changed as you became a mum, and whether it influenced the fold, your business strategy, or any part of the fold as you became a working mum.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think Definitely my sort of understanding of the customer is involved as my career has evolved and age has evolved and so on. And actually we've got, you know, obviously a very high proportion of working mums in our, who are our customers. And I think it is about that understanding who she is as a customer and how we're evolving with her, what different aspects of her life we need to be cognizant of. She's a multitasker. She's very ambitious. And I suppose where there's a nice, mutual crossover. And I guess I've always felt this about why, which partly why I was so passionate about the business itself is that I think I'm really able to understand that because I'm living through it. So all of the same sort of questions you'd be having, even if it's in a different sector or a different role, we're all sort of handling the same sort of common ground of, you know, okay, so what childcare setup do you have? What do you do about schools? What do you do about after school? How do you navigate the different time that you need for things? What do you do in holidays? you have those times when you sort of hit the wall because you feel like you're balancing it all. And then you have other times when you're really able to enjoy it. So I think that evolution has helped me to continue to evolve my understanding of our customer And think about, I mean, there was a kind of natural question that came up at some point, I think probably after my second child, which was, you know, is the fold going to do maternity wear? And, and that was an interesting one. And actually I was like, do you know what? No, because it's a very different type of product. It's for a certain period of time. Women have certain particular associations with it. They tend to shop in this price bracket. So it was quite useful having sort of lived through that and be able to be like quite definitive about our strategy and what we would and, and wouldn't do that was
0: relevant for our customer at that stage. Yeah your life changes can help you build empathy and understanding yeah right yeah exactly one of the best things about startup dads for me is that i get great coaching from awesome founders and one of them was describing about how having a child teaches you empathy in a way that it's extremely hard to learn. For lots of highly determined, kind of relatively young entrepreneurs, empathy can be a hard thing to maintain and persist when you are single-mindedly building a business. And there is no better way to really focus than to have a child, and a child who can't actually tell you what's wrong, and you have to interpret it through the smoke signals that a child gives you. Yeah. And I think it can be a really powerful thing, actually. It definitely is one of those crossovers. I think, that can help you become a better CEO.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think empathy is one. And I also think pace is quite interesting. That's something my husband and I struggle with a bit is our daily lives at work are so pacey. Oh, my goodness. You know, you're going from one thing to the next, you know, from a meeting into a podcast into something else. And we are just used to working a million miles an hour and keeping on top of it. And I think then when you get home or you're trying to leave the house, which is one of those really joyous things that you try and do with kids, learning to sort of slow the pace down prepare like an hour in advance, not try and rush them into something because it always just backfires. And that's been something that we've really had to work very hard on is how to adapt from this sort of crazy, pacey world into, right, okay, you kind of get in the house after work and you've just got to slow it down. And actually, I think that has been one of the really healthy things for our mental health is that time actually, it can be a little bit of a race to the end, can't it? When you get home and it's like, okay, quick, you know, bath time, bedtime, get them into bed, and then you can have a glass of wine, relax. But actually, the slower you take it, the nicer it is for everyone. And it's a really nice sort of calm part of the day. And I sometimes feel like I sort of get to that moment where I sort of sit on the bed and you've got the reading book. And it's almost like an anaesthetic literally dripping through me. And I just feel my whole body relax. And that's a really nice moment to hold on to and maintain.
0: Yeah, that's a really fantastic framing of it. As you said, I've actually had to train myself to that because I think as a founder, you develop this really strong sense of opportunity cost of your time. And it's one of those really funny things that it's an idiotic thing to bring home. And I found myself sometimes like watching Evie try it, do something. Natural tendency is to quickly get my phone out and do something because I'm not necessarily interacting with her while she tries to feed a toy hippo a cake or something. Just revel in that moment and watch her and enjoy it. And the email can wait till after she's gone to sleep. Modulating pace, I've written that down because I think that's a really powerful thing to think about because it can be so easy to let that mindset just blur. And that's not healthy, I think.
1: We found that particularly on the weekends as well. I mean, I think before kids, when you're running a business, it's super easy for you to just carry on And you just work a lot on the weekend you work a lot in the evenings you really let it take over and honestly i don't think it made the business any better and as soon as we had the kids weekend really became a lot more preserved for family time and it really just made the weeks more targeted more focused more efficient one really interesting thing that i noticed was that when we were talking to younger professional women super ambitious they were very focused in terms of what their challenges now what are they working on they're very focused on the role, their own professional progression, how they were developing their skills, how they were developing in their careers. And then the women who were a bit more advanced in their careers and often with a family as well, it was about keeping the cup full. It was about what does my team need from me when I come in on a Monday, or if I'm doing a talk about the brand or if I'm customer facing. And for them, it was all about, if I don't self-preserve, I'm useless to anyone if I come in stressed or in a bad mood, I am not doing my job in my role. And that's something that was just so tangible, how completely different it was during this progression of time. And certainly talking to those women, I've recognized that a bit of a bellwether for motivation and energy in the business. I actually do try and be present in the office a lot. I'm here a lot through COVID after COVID. And I think that energy that you bring you've got to be able to maintain it. So again, it comes back to that asking for help. You know, do you have the right setup? if you've got young kids around, if you've got other family needs and requirements, how do you balance that so that you're still able to bring that energy without being too sacked by it? And I think that is just as much of your professional requirement as knowing whether your marketing campaign's working. So it's interesting when people sort of ask about you know things that you're juggling with kids and things. I think, knowing that you've actually got the right setup, and knowing when it's not working or what you need to help you to do that to then do your job properly, I think is really important. I think
0: people underestimate it, actually. Again, a fantastic framing of that because you are, as a founder... Bellwether, in many ways, you have the most power and the most responsibility to manage the how you cascade that energy through the business. And when we were an earlier change, like five or six of us, being really stressed and candidly just quite pessimistic in my day-to-day, and one of our founding engineers just saying, emma you're projecting right now. I think it's not as bad, is it, as you're saying? That kind of slapped me around the face. Everything at HX was great at that point. It just wasn't in me. And, you know, that kind of disconnect is something that you have to manage. And I think it's so important, like you say, particularly when having kids and they're so important to you and they require so much energy, it's easy for that to fluctuate completely decoupled from the business, isn't it? Absolutely. Really interesting. You just touched on you saying you're in the office regularly. I wanted to ask you so. What the change in the world has meant for The Fold, how you have managed through a pandemic that has, candidly, the way I see it, is a gigantic social experiment on people's perceptions of themselves and what work means. And I think often when you have a kind of mission-focused brand and business like yours, or as I perceive it, you're probably feeling that firsthand, I expect. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it's been a really interesting and in sometimes difficult time for the business. So like I said, we're a workwear brand. And most of our end uses for our customer were leaving the house to go and do a conference, really big day at work, even just going to work in a smart outfit or relatively smart outfit, going to an occasion, all of the above, all of which were suddenly cancelled. And that was sort of completely and utterly unprecedented as a whole thing, as we all know. So we lost a vast majority of our end use for our customer overnight. And that had obviously massive impact on our revenue. And that was quite terrifying. So the first three to four months of the pandemic, when it was really, you know, full, full, full lockdown, absolute crisis, everybody getting their heads around it, that was definitely the hardest stage. And, you know, it was pretty nail biting, it was not a given that it was going to all be okay. So we had to absolutely sort of all knuckle down, we had to use any scheme that was available to us to survive, cut a lot of costs, it was pretty brutal. But we did pivot quite quickly. So we thought a lot about our customer. It always goes back to our customer who's in this sort of similar situation as the working woman is what's relevant to her now. And what could we try and predict in this period of uncertainty was going to be somewhat relevant for the next six to 12 months. So comfort was obviously a huge factor in dressing during lockdown, sitting on Zoom calls all day. Um, hybrid working, Zoom dressing with something sort of fancy on top and whatever goes on the waist down, stretchy trousers, all of these things, a much more casual um, interpretation of dressing. So we worked very hard on the collection as quickly as we could to sort of manage through that and adapt with our customer, but also sharing some stories of our customer. You know, oh my God, everybody had to then face homeschooling not necessarily having childcare in place for younger kids, no nurseries, family members being really ill, the uncertainty and terror of like, were you going to get ill? All of these things that we've taken for granted in a way. So trying to find a way as well to just communicate with our customers and share some stories of other women going through similar things and how they were coping with it was also really relevant for us during that time. And it helped us to then also think about what product was going to be relevant coming out of it. So I'm pleased to say that last year was actually really good because i think the rebound then of people re-emerging even when things were still quite weird was really positive for us and because we'd done so much work on our product and keeping in contact with that customer it definitely served us in a good way then so we're hoping it will continue to go that way i think one of the interesting things which i think is also relevant for being a working mum is how you define yourself and i think a lot of people lost that demarcation between home and work and yes, there are some positives about working from home, but for a lot of our customers, we, we did a massive survey coming off the back of the pandemic. And a lot of them said they really missed that ability to walk out of the house, dress up and be their professional self and go and present themselves and be that persona that they are at work and own that space and be this amazing, high achieving woman. And then, you know, maybe on the weekend, they're in their trainers and their denim and their mum going to some hideous soft play or something, but they're totally different headspace and it's lovely and it's a very different vibe. But having those two sides to life, whereas through a lot of the pandemic, it just all was just one big grey blur of sort of sweats and lounging around the house and not really having that much to do. So you were saying about the social experiment part of it, I think particularly for women who've had to also take on a lot of childcare during the day and homeschooling and things, bringing back some boundaries is really valuable and I think really helps. People kind of get back into a bit more of a zone that they're accomplishing something at work and they're being, you know, a great mum, but they don't have to try and do all those things in the same space.
0: Yeah. Your point about how, as human beings, fashion and clothing are a key part of human expression. They have been since we've been a species, I think, for the most part. It's really interesting to reflect on all of us as our own journeys, dad or mum. You can remember the slow descent into sweatpants for 20 hours a day and then the realization that actually that mode the demarcation thing is lost and it's actually important to have that different part. And my anticipation is that human beings aren't going to stop needing clothes, right? <laughs> I said so They're still going to need clothes. No, yeah. <laughs> no, no me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, um, but it's really nice to hear the story about how providing the support framework and the again, building that kind of connection between your customers and you is a kind of a part of how you make your business and product better, right? And I think that's a really nice, maybe slightly less expected aspect of the story. Definitely. Amazing. I want to ask you about the fact that there's a startup dad in your family too. So your <laughs> husband is the CEO of a high growth business. What does balance mean in your household? How do you prioritize and compromise when you both have probably an infinite number of things that you could be doing? And maybe the framing is what advice would you give to potential startup couples who already have one of the other being in a high growth high pressure job?
1: Yeah, so many interesting dynamics there. I think we both really love what we do. We talk about it a lot and we share how we've worked through certain challenges or, oh, how did you approach this kind of strategy? Or do you have a framework for this? Or do you have a recruiter for that? So I think there's a lot of really good collaboration that has come through the years. And also there's also probably a natural diversification. So when I might've been having a tough time with the business at a certain time, he's probably been in a situation where the job's been a bit more stable and then vice versa. So there's got to be a bit of yin and yang I guess also that what I mentioned before about that early understanding of this is what it's going to be, so we're gonna to have to support each other on it. And for example, I remember in the early days of particularly our first kid, when she was born, there was a point where one side stopped breastfeeding and therefore in the night there was a much more level pegging of who was needed. We just came up with a system of we would just rotate nights. So if it was this night, it'd be like oh, it's my turn tonight. So you knew when you went to bed, it was my turn and the following night it's your turn because neither one of what we were doing was more important or less important. It was the same night, we could play the same role. It was a little bit different when we had our second kid because our work and various other things had evolved and we just sort of structured it a little bit differently. But we definitely still had this, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. And that was definitely a sort of a partnership. I do think it's quite a funny dynamic though when two people are both CEOs. So your co-CEO at home? How does that sort of power balance work? <laughs> Who's in charge here? And, you know, obviously no one is very sort of equal. Um, probably our nanny. She's probably, she, we have a absolutely fantastic nanny. And actually that, for two parents who were doing absolutely full-on work where there is no possibility to not show up for something, et cetera, et cetera, she is the absolute backbone of our household. And I would never, ever underestimate that. And I think it comes back to that acknowledgement of knowing when you need help and being prepared to go in for that, it's a big investment to have that level of help, but my goodness, it has made what we're doing possible. And I think that is something as well. That was a real learning for us is also to find the right person who can really support you and really understands. So she's the sort of the extra piece in that dynamic with my husband and I, which is just fundamental to us existing and working and having kids and then enjoying our time with them as well.
0: Great. So onto the biggie, what's the biggest lesson, Polly, you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids?
1: Oh, passing it on to the kids, that's a very good one. I think it comes down to enjoying what you do, actually, because I sort of look at them and, you know, they're so tiny. I mean, we've got a six-year-old and a nearly four-year-old You can tell when they look really proud of something that they've done, but they've really enjoyed it. And on the flip side, I think we've all seen when you try and get them to do some Saturday football thing or something, because you think it's a good idea and they just, they really resist going and they just don't have a good time. And you're thinking, why am I doing this? Why, you know, do they really need to go do another football club? Coming to work for me never feels like a chore. It never feels draining. Actually, the most draining time for me that it felt was during lockdown, because I really missed the team. And that was a really good indicator to me of how important it was for me to be stimulated by that team and working environment. So it's really sort of clear, isn't it, then, that you go, why am I so driven and ambitious? It's because I'm in a job that I really love doing and I've got a big ambition for it. Would I feel like this if I was in a job that I felt much more contained in or that didn't suit me or was less passionate about? So all I really care about, in summary, is that whatever our kids end up doing is something that they get real buzz out of, that they're super passionate about, that they really love doing. Because I think if they find that thing, then they will go on to be really fulfilled by it. Hopefully they would have a fruitful career, hopefully do something good for the world. All of those good things will come from it rather than feeling that there's any shoulds involved. You know, They should be doing this or they should be doing that. And I think it's quite exciting because certainly when I was at school, It felt like there were only three careers that you could do. You know, you're going to be a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, you know, everything that was predefined. And the career opportunities that there are now in so many different spheres of life is so exciting. So I think that's going to be tremendously more open for them as they grow up to think about finding a niche or will it be something general? And that will just totally depend on them.
0: That's a great realization. Polly, this has been an absolutely epic episode. And exactly as I suspected, we are about a third of the way through the questions. But unfortunately, I'm not allowed to do a three hour Startup Mum's show. Before we wrap up, we'd like to close the show with our segment Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light on a startup or anyone in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Who's your Startup Shoutout?
1: Startup Shouts. I'm going to give this shoutout to a fantastic entrepreneur called Caroline. Newt Hardy, I hope I'm saying her surname correctly, but she's building a business called Peace and Riot. And I think it's particularly relevant for your podcast because it is a new concept of hospitality. So it is a play cafe that exists in East Dulwich. So if anyone's anywhere near there, you should definitely go along. And what's so brilliant about it is you can go there with your kid, you pay. A certain amount of money, you can become a member to get sort of preferential access to the childcare and so on. But there's what they call, and I love their branding, Peacekeepers, who will then look after your child and give them a wonderful space to play where you can still see them. So you're not just leaving them and abandoning them, but you're then in the cafe enjoying wonderful brunch with either potentially a colleague or a friend and getting some time back, but giving them a wonderful environment and being part of this community where let's say there are other startup mums or dads sitting around the table also just trying to get a little bit of space or a little bit of time or just to find themselves or read a book listen to a podcast whatever it might be and i think the vision is obviously then to create you know more of these outlets and provide more opportunities where you've just hit that space in life where you're no longer welcome at the places that you used to go that were quite cool and quite fun and the places that you are welcome, like the stinky soft place, you just really don't want to go to. <laughs> You
0: don't want to be there. <laughs>
1: um, so it's a really wonderful idea. And I think there's a lot to do with the positivity on mental health, particularly for new mums who are really struggling to sort of find their way again and find what space they're welcome in and who they are. So I think it's just the most wonderful concept and hope that anyone who is nearby the first outlet can go and check it out. And hopefully this will be the beginning of them really expanding their offering in the future.
0: Well, I am absolutely delighted and devastated at the same time because I've just Googled this. It's nine minutes from my old house that we just sold. (laughs) But I tell you something, what a fantastic idea. And as you said, a perfect startup shout out. Polly, you've been absolutely amazing. This has been a cracking episode. I'm sorry that I'm not allowed to steal three hours of your time to keep this going, but maybe we'll have you back in the future. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I think it's a wonderful topic to talk about. So very supportive of all those mums and dads who are, who are juggling it all. We all are.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod.